What if I told you that you could help solve the hospitality recruitment crisis with just £10? You'd say, shut up, take my money, wouldn't you? Well, that's exactly what a new initiative called Hospitality Rising is going to do. Between now and May the 12th, we are raising £5 million to fund the biggest hospitality recruitment advertising campaign that the UK and beyond has ever seen. We want to double the amount of people who would consider working in hospitality. Think army, be the best, but for hospitality. All we need from you is £10 per employee that you have in your business and together we can stop this recruitment crisis forever. Go to hospitalityrising.org now to find out how you can help today and don't forget to tell your HR team and your CEO. Supersonic! 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 Supersonic. Supersonic. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The rocket fuel podcast for food, drink, and hospitality businesses everywhere. Listen up, tell all your friends, and share with your colleagues. Every single episode is packed full of tips, tricks, and advice on how you can make your brand boom. Hi, are you still using a trunk system to manage your tips? Well, if you are, you're working way, way, way too hard. Tipjar is HMRC cleared and uses tech to enable your customers to tip your staff directly. Find out more at wearetipjar.com. Join the tipping revolution. A creative agency for the hospitality sector, Saved by Robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling. From Scottish Restaurant of the Year Sugarboat to Tip Jar, the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world, Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com. So today we head to the city of dreams, Milton Keynes, and we're going to talk to Claire Scullion, who is the menu scientist. I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. It's one of those ones that's super practical, lots of great tips. You're going to learn so much out of it and your menus will be better forever. So short intro today, but I just wanted to get to it straight away. So enjoy the episode with Claire. She's got so much great stuff to say, and please get in touch with her at The Menu Scientist if you want any help. So it gives me the most subliminal menu messaging pleasure ever to introduce my next guest, who is the amazing Claire Scullion, The Menu Scientist. Hey! <laughs> Hello! <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Really good. Good, good. good. Nice. Um, so you're up in my old deck of the woods, the city of dreams, Milton Keynes. Absolutely. The roundabouts <laughs> and concrete cows live on. Yeah. I miss it, you know. I, I quite like that. I mean, it gets a hard time, but I really like living there. I really it enjoy that. It does get a hard time, but people that live here love it, and yeah. people that have never lived here don't know what it's like, really. So yeah. we'll, keep it, uh, we'll keep it our little secret, I think. They, they won't get it. They won't get it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, listen, we've had this podcast um, come about because I saw you 
and was, you know, blown away, super impressed with the um, RMI, you know, sort of talk that you did and then fixing the menu live as well, which was uh, yeah. a little bit jeopardy and anxiety inducing, I, I suppose. But, I yeah. suppose so. Right? If, if I didn't have such a skilled designer working with me, then it, it wouldn't be worse, but I completely trust him. So it's all yeah. good. So you basically went up, did a bit of a chat about, menu stuff and we'll go through some of that today and how to get better menus and things like that and then you took the brief from Anthony yeah yeah Anthony Knight from uh, CPO yeah yeah. and so that's like pergola and all that exactly that's right yeah yeah so the brief was fantastic because um uh so James Haken obviously who organizes RMI and everything he had said to me because I've done it before and I've done a, a few different uh, locations of RMI on various different occasions. We sort of did Dublin and Amsterdam and stuff. And uh, on this occasion, he said he was looking for something a little bit more interactive. Mm-hmm. And he was looking for people that could do something that was interactive. And obviously, he and I have worked quite closely together in the past. And he was aware of some of the stuff I've been doing with eye tracking research and yeah. just things that are a little bit different that people don't necessarily always think about when it comes to researching how, you know, how anything works in restaurants, really, because we're or hospitality in general, you know, behind the times when it comes to, to that sort of yeah. stuff, you know, compared to a lot of other, other industries. So um, he thought people would find it really interesting to see how that works in practice. So that's essentially what we did. I said, well, I'll spend the day, you know, give me a brief. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's, you know, we'll do it as quickly as we possibly can. Normally these things take a little bit longer, but um, give me the brief in the morning. I'll, I'll work it up. I'll, I'll kind of, you do the stuff that we normally do go through everything that we know about the venue as much as we can about the statistics and the data. And then at the end of the day, we'll present something. Yeah. Um, and luckily I, I do work with very talented designer who, who is quick as well and, and can throw something together. But obviously it was all massively caveated with the fact that it had been done in a day, but I yeah. think the understanding of the process came across really well um and we put some some funny glasses on mark and uh, i think he quite enjoyed that as well. <laughs> no it, it, it really was great to see it real time i think i was on just a wee bit in fact directly after you i think i had to right. i had to follow that you know um but uh, but no I, and speaking to some of my clients i mean there's already a, a couple of my clients are you know wanting to engage with you already which is great you know and they're talking mm-hmm. about you as if you, you know you're, you're working already you know so that's yeah. really exciting and i think it is one of those things that a not many people offer at all and mm-hmm. for hospitality and yeah. b i think people just crack on do you know the amount of companies as well that i've worked with that just the absolute wrong person is putting the menu together yeah you know? completely and they don't you know it, but but it's theirs and they guard it and you know yeah. I, I just shake my eye think what do you you know there's no thought went into it. pricing i will stick 15p and everything what mm. Where's the logic? Yeah, Yeah, completely. And, and quite often it's such a shame because the menu itself, the physical form of the menu is, is generally an afterthought, which it should never be. I mean, you put so much thought and effort, you know, the chef takes the time over Mm. what they're going to decide to put on the, on the menu, you know, ops talk about how they're going to deliver this stuff. There's a huge amount of, of uh, thought and preparation and effort goes into the food. And that's obviously right, but the same care and attention should be given to how that those choices are communicated to the customers and they're just not. I mean, what's funny is Anthony was saying the guy at Zipio that does the menu design hates 
doing menu design. It's oh, like his pet peeve. Absolutely. It's his least favorite thing to do. Yeah. So when, when he said that, it was like, well, of course he's just going to chuck something together and, and you know, because he doesn't want to do it. And mm. he's thinking about other things. He's just thinking, right, I'm going to get all this stuff on a page, make it look nice. Mm. And that's the end of it. Yeah. And that, that should be enough for people. Um, but ultimately we give people far too much credit when it comes to making rational decisions. Human beings do not make rational decisions. Yeah. yeah. We don't know why we choose things. Mm. And, quite often um, the majority of the decisions that we make are like you said at the very beginning subliminally you know um dictated that they're they're, mm. they're intuitive or uh, they're subliminal or they're or they're you know they're hidden from the things that we sort of see around us and the environment that that we come across so if you don't apply that same thinking to how you show those options you know retail has been doing it for years yeah. years and years, you know, online does it, you know, we put huge amounts of effort into guiding people to making the right decisions and making the decisions that we want them to make in Mm. every other industry. And for whatever reason, hospitality just doesn't do that. And that's what I'm sort of trying to change, you know, with these little things is just trying to have people understand that you, you can make a difference. You can influence somebody's decision so much to the point where you'll change their mind as to whether or not they would come back again, even if they don't have a really memorable food experience yeah yeah i think you know a couple of things you said there retail absolutely i mean when i was a wee boy i used to stack the shelves and safeway and you know even before morrison's and um you know and, and that you that was drummed into you there yeah. you know about selection aisles product you know navigation you know all that stuff packaging da, 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 you know all that you know was drummed into your eye levels by level and you know exactly. you'll, you'll put these particular products here and not there I think to be fair, QSR are a bit better at it, but some some of them anyway, the bigger ones, um, you know, and and they'll do really smart things like only show the menu items on the screens that then get yeah. them the best margin and like I love all that stuff. I think it's brilliant. But the one I was thinking about there was online, so I grew up at LastMinute.com, right? And um, mm-hmm. man, every day we had changing a button, changing a color, changing yeah. this about you know. A, B testing, no, not even A, B, A, B, C, D, E, F testing, you know, running four newsletters concurrently to see what worked. And you just, I don't know, you can't, I think it's down to resource actually. And I think there's experience and resource, you know, are the two barriers. I think that I think the experience um, resource is a massive part of it. Always has been, and it and it actually affects every part of hospitality, not just this. What we're talking about now. I mean, resource is a massive issue. So the people that are in the roles doing the role that they were hired to do are doing about ten other roles as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. So that's a massive issue. Um, and we're asking a lot of people, we're asking people to be behavioral psychologists at the same time as operational professionals. And it's too much, you know, and, and the right thing is to, is to look for other, you know, other options. So that is a big problem. The other problem is that we rely too heavily, or at least we think that the most important thing is just the food. That's, that's kind of the, the mentality is that if the food is good and if we're, there is some education happening with it now. And I think people are starting to understand that experience environment, all of those things that we know to work really well for other 
um, industries are a huge factor and that actually a lot of people just want to have a nice experience in a nice environment or they want to be seen to be in a certain location or in a venue. And social media obviously plays a huge part in that as well. Um, but for whatever reason, the menu seems to be, um, a bit of an afterthought and it, and it is a shame, but the menu itself as well is not just the thing that people are given, they look at, and then, you know, they make a decision from there on. There's a whole host of things that happen in the build up to that. And the process that I try and take people through is, you know, everything from what you have online when people first experience your menu, you know, what are you showing? Are you showing them a PDF of what the menu is actually going to look like when you're in the restaurant? Mm. And is it the most up-to-date one? Because that's a massive pet peeve of mine. Oh, yep. Uh, lots of people like to decide what they're going to have, or at least not necessarily decide, but just have like a view of what they could potentially have or what the sort of feel of the you know restaurant is, what the vibe of the menu is. They want to see that. They don't necessarily just always want to see the text and the prices, you know, Um, whilst it's important to have that for SEO reasons and all of that stuff, it's also important to show people, right, this is what our menu looks like. This is what we're all about because design is so important for people making that connection and understanding that, that they can kind of relate to that venue. Yeah. yeah, You know, like if you see something that you think, oh, actually that, that's a bit of me, I can, I can go there. That's how you're going to get that feel. That's why it's important to have, you know, interior shots and all of that stuff. So we go through that whole, we go through that whole process. And then also when somebody, when you're met at the restaurant or when you go and get your seat or when you're driving through the drive-through or when you're approaching the counter, all of the things that those cues that help you understand what that restaurant's all about, what the choices are going to be, what's popular, what's not, what are they pushing, you know, Mm. what's sort of all of that stuff. That's all part of the menu process. Yeah. Um, You know, all the way through to, to when, when they leave and you ask them a question about, the menu you know you ask them something or you give them enough information i think it's 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 foolish to think that it's just that one piece of pos it's so much more than that a whole process and it's important to to give it that attention and to run through it too that's the other thing that we don't do so you said about testing yeah you like abc you know whatever we don't test a yeah in hospitality yeah we we say right here's your new menu ops team off you go we yeah. don't give them an opportunity to live with it, for it to sit with them. We don't give them an opportunity to try different things. Um, you know, time and resource, again, a big issue when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. And we don't say as a, you know, director of that restaurant or, you know, any member of that team of the marketing team, because I very much believe that marketing and ops work, should work together when it comes to menus. Yeah. It, they don't sit down and have dinner <laughs> with that menu. And go, oh, <laughs> That's right, interesting. Yeah. yeah, like this is what this is what I'm going to choose. Like last night, I went out with my mum and dad and my uncle, and we just sat around the table. Um, it, it was a it's a restaurant that we go to regularly. It's a Cross Keys in uh, Woolstone, oh, a fantastic yeah. restaurant, really really great. They just done a new menu, and whenever I go out, everybody knows I'm a pain in the butt because I'll just sit there and like pull Pet it, apart, on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we sat down, and my dad went, "Oh, so what do you think of this then?" And I said, "Well, it's clearly too big." And he was like, "Oh, I really liked it." And me and my mum, our menus are like crossing over in front of each other. I'm like, clearly nobody sat at these tables. All yeah. these tables are the same size, and held up a menu in front of the person sitting in front of them. Because if they'd done that, they'd have realised really quickly it just doesn't work. It's too big. Yeah, it's all it's, those practicalities, though. I mean, yeah. it's so simple. It's so simple, and it's just. It's just putting yourself in the shoes of the customer, understanding what they're looking at and what would you do? Because mm-hmm. we are all so similar and the choices that we make are influenced by lots of different things, but we go through the same journey in the restaurant. 
So it's a, it's a process of understanding what that journey is and what leads us to those decisions mm. and then trying as hard as we can to influence that in the way that we want it to be influenced, you know, and that's not necessarily always about increasing sales, mm. you know, adding margin, whatever it is, you know, it's not always about the money. More often than not, it's about the experience mm -hmm. because that then leads to repeat visit. And that's more important than somebody spending an extra couple of pounds on their meal. Yeah. And also, it's just that way. So few people turn the telescope the other way and mm -hmm. go, you know, and it's what that ops director likes, you know, and I think it should be this. And, you know, I think it should be that. And it's like a lot of people as well, they wouldn't be seen dead in the restaurants they work for. Right. So what do they know about what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, about what it should be like? So yeah, I, I just, I, I, I'm, as I'm getting older and I'm definitely getting older, I'm, I'm more and more into research, you know, and I'm more yeah. and more, see before I was quite bullish and I was like, I know what we should do, you know, but yeah. I think, you know, I'm really coming to terms with that. And, and it's kind of my go-to answer for any question I'm getting from a client, which is, what do you think about this? It's like, well, I think this, but actually, should we not, you know, go and, yeah. go and talk to the 18 year olds that it's designed for. You yeah, know? well, exactly. I mean, you know, test it on people that you know are your customers yeah. and and it's it's important to, and also the thing about testing that I find generally, which is why the eye tracking glasses work so mm. well. The thing about testing is if I stop somebody after they've looked at a menu and they've had a meal and I say, why did you choose that? They won't know. Mm -hmm. They might say something, but it won't necessarily be the right answer. No. Um, you know, more often than not, if somebody says, why did you pick that? You think, oh, I don't know. But then you sort of try and rationalize it with something like, oh, well, I always pick that or that's mm -hmm. something that I thought I would try that would be different or I'm on a diet or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. you try and rationalize that decision. But the reality is, do we know why we make decisions? The answer is no. Mm. So how do we find out why people make decisions? Well, we follow them, we put the glasses on them and we look at the world through their eyes. Yeah so that we can see what they encountered, the issues that they came across while they were making those decisions and, and all the things that influenced that decision and really analyze that because there's so much. And, and you know, one of the biggest things for me and is something that I'm always um, kind of banging on about is there is absolutely no point putting huge amounts of effort, time and money into perfecting your menu if when you hand it to somebody, it looks tatty yeah. or it's got a stain on it yeah. or it's a bit torn, or, yeah. or there's like a little ring of, you know, water or whatever. All of that stuff completely goes out the window. Yeah. Um, and the perception of the venue, the understanding of the environment, everything about that then changes for the customer mm -hmm. and they will have a more negative experience off the back of that. So there's this incredible piece of research that talks about cleanliness and how, um, I think they did this. So they did this study in the States with juries and they said they gave the jury the option to wash their hands before they went into the, into the jury, into the courtroom. Oh, yeah. And um, there was a number of other things that they were doing with them to try and like encourage this cleanliness idea. And they look upon people more favorably and they make more positive decisions when they are in an environment where they feel clean. Oh. So if you, take that information that you know about cleanliness and how people feel generally more positively when they are 
in an environment that they feel is is clean. And that, that's not just down to like the physical cleanliness. That's also the design of something. So we know what a clean design looks like. Yeah. We know what a messy, scrappy design looks like. If you apply that same thinking, then it makes complete sense that somebody would have a more positive experience if they had felt more positively about the cleanliness of the environment. So all of that stuff just, you know, is, is really, really important. Mm. And again, just plays into that. We don't know why we make decisions. We just know that there's something in the back of our head that helps us make that decision. Yeah. And, and talking about the eye tracking stuff, I, I was at a conference a while ago and they showed Heineken doing mm. the eye tracking. Um, and it was all about where to place the pumps on the, the bar, you know, um, and then what they sort of found through eye tracking was uh, put the two pumps together. And it was only because of eye tracking that it solved that. And yeah. that's why you see two Heineken pumps together with the ice on them and, you know, and all that. And it yeah. was just because they saw the eyes were just completely drawn because otherwise they were looking about, they were still choosing. Right. You were in the mix and it was like power and numbers, strength and numbers. Absolutely. Bang. So it was absolutely brilliant. So, how are you qualified to do all this? So what's the, what's the, how, how do you know? <laughs> like, you know, so in terms of your background, you know, impressive background yeah. and everything. So tell me about that, you know, and, and getting into hospitality as well to, to get you to today. What happened? Yeah. Well, so shock horror, I'm not a scientist, but. <sighs> <laughs> False advertising. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's blasphemy. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not a scientist. Um, however, um, so my my um, background in terms of education and the things that I took interest in when I was younger was all design and art. Mm-hmm. So I did an art degree at Leeds University. And then from there, I went on to, and I don't really know why. Again, it's one of these things. I don't know why I was led down this road. But I did a master's in curatorship and museum studies. Okay. And I think I was led down that because obviously I enjoyed doing the art stuff, but in pra- you know practical reasons, I kind of thought, right, well, I need to apply this love that I have of art and all of that stuff into something a bit more practical and a bit more, you know, so make, I'm a bit make more money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I to actually get a job. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I decided to do this this masters, and I did it at Leeds, um, and it was. It, it was fantastic because the thing that I enjoyed the most about it, as much as the history of museums and art galleries and all of that stuff mm. was great. The thing that I enjoyed the most about it was understanding journeys right. and with curatorship, what's fantastic and what's probably the biggest part of what a curator does is take people on a journey. Mm-hmm. So, and it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't even until like a year ago that I realized that this is how I've ended up doing this type of thing. But ultimately, that's what I find really interesting is taking somebody on a journey and giving them a narrative and having them explore that story in a way that you think it should be told. And that kind of has sort of led me to this. But unfortunately, then I got into marketing (laughs) instead of instead of curatorship, Um, which, again, is one of those things. Um, My dad has always been in advertising and marketing. and I, I, I was living up in Leeds and he was down here. So mm. the, yeah, I would say there's no influence, but there completely was obviously influence from him. So I had my first advertising um, job up at Gratapalm who looked after all of Asda. Okay. 
And ASDA as well was a, was a fantastic place to learn all about this behavioral psychology stuff. Cause they were like right in the middle of all of that. I mean, you know, it was years ago now, but at that time they were way ahead with all of that stuff. You know, I was learning with sort of their teams and everything. Why? things were positioned within the store and, you know, what they were trying to achieve from things. And as part of their marketing team, obviously, then we had to help influence that whole journey. So that was really fascinating. And then I got a job at BBH, which were based here in Milton Keynes. There was a retail arm that was based here in Milton Keynes. We went in and out of London every now and again. And I worked with Whitbread restaurants. Oh, yeah. And they were fantastic at the time. Um, And I had never worked in hospitality. I'd gone from retail uh, we did have Greg's up in Gratapon, but I didn't really work with them too closely, although I would have liked to have done because yeah, they would do sure. really interesting things around signage. And like you were saying about how, you know, they changed their signage and stuff. That was when they kind of started doing that as mm. well. Um, but at BBH, I worked with Whitbread and that was with the three brands. So Beef Eater, Table Table and Brewers Fair. And we worked mainly on menus because, mm. I mean, there was like four menu changes a year for every single brand. And we started them months and months ahead of time. And it was a huge undertaking you know, lots of banding, lots of photography, all of that stuff. So I got thrown into the world of menus and I just loved it. Yeah. And um, the head of marketing, um, the um, CMO that, that was there at the time, a guy called David Murden, who's fantastic. He was very, very interested. He came from a British Airways background. So he oh, had like okay. a different kind of understanding. I think he was with somebody else as well. I can't remember the but yeah, he was, he had like a fantastic understanding of behavioral psychology and how people made decisions. And he wanted to apply that to the menus in the mm. restaurants. So we got taken on this journey with Whitbread, um, understanding menu science. And it was the first time I'd ever heard of it. It was the first time I knew anything of it. And from that point on, I was hooked and, um, I got moved on to Dulux at oh, BB8 okay. and I was like, right, this is not what I want to do. There's a watching paint dry gag in there It somewhere. was literally, yeah. I completely, I've used that gag so many times I feel a bit guilty about it. But I, but I, but I decided that I, I bought into this hospitality thing and I just Ooh. loved it. And I think like so many people, hospitality just became like a drug for me then. I was like, I can't give this up. Um, there's something about providing experiences and all of that stuff that I just thought I need to be a part of that again. Yeah. So I joined Elliot's in Milton Keynes and. Oh, um, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was at Elliot's. Yeah. So I was there and that's how I met James. Right, and, right, you know, right, right, right. and that's how I got introduced to the wider world of hospitality. Cause ah. I, it'd been quite siloed um, with Whitbread. We were, that was the brand that I worked on and that was it. Yeah, and I wasn't right. kind of aware of, of everything else that, w- that was sort of going on within the industry. And then when I met James, he was like, this is how, you know, it all works and this is what you need to do. And uh, it took me a little while to figure it all out. But so, yeah. And then um, had a couple of kids and took some, some time out to do that. And then decided when I came back that I would join my dad's agency and try and kind of forge a a route for this stuff whilst also working on a lot of the clients that we have here historically that we've worked on for years. Uh, We still have some retail clients. We have some food clients as well. So, so aside, you know, I do this stuff and I do, I do that as well. But it's really just my, my absolute passion for this understanding how people 
how people's brains work, you know, like understanding why they make decisions yeah. and, and what we can do and then seeing the results. Yeah. So it's like, what can I do to try and influence that decision mm -hmm. or have people make a decision, you know, differently or order something else or whatever it is. And then seeing it actually happen and, yeah. and it, it working. And then you think you get some validation from that and you think actually it does, it does work. Yeah, and there's a course. reason why it works. There's a reason why all these studies are done and why, you know, the corporate world uses this information because mm. it's, it's really, really valuable and it, and it really works. Yeah. It's massive. And, you know, just thinking about teams that I've worked with over the years and still do menu is a thing that makes people cry. It makes them stressed because what happens is no one hits their deadlines throughout yeah. the process. Absolutely. And it's the last thing. <clears throat> yeah. And it's the marketing department that are the last thought. Um, and yeah, I've had people resign because of it. I've had people in tears because of it. I've had, you know, stand up rows, you know, all that. And, you know, and then you get knocked over the head for there being like one spelling mistake in it. And you're like, yeah, give me a break. <laughs> you know, you're giving me like eight hours yeah. to sort this. Um, quick question then is food photography on menus. Yes or no? Yes and no. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, just on it, it's one of those cliched questions you get asked all the time. And it's, yeah. and it's a preference of a director that goes, you know those crappy Chinese restaurants? Well, they've always got their photography and their food, so I'm not going to have it and I'm a salad place or whatever. And you're like, oh, shoot me now. There's a place for it. Absolutely. Mm. I still think there's a massive place for it. Um, it doesn't always have to look like those Chinese restaurants mm -hmm. that, you know, have the cutout picture of the plate of, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to look like that. Yep. Um, you can create a really beautiful menu using food photography. Even I would, I would argue even at a restaurant that would co consider themselves finer dining or, or, you know, something a little bit fancier. I say, actually, what's your ultimate goal? What, what are you trying to achieve? And is the photography going to help you achieve that? And mm -hmm. I think it's not always a question of, you know, if it's a value proposition, yes, you should have photography. Um, and if it's not, then you shouldn't. I, I disagree. I think actually it, yeah, the, the answer is never the same with mm. any restaurant I work with. And that's, what's really tricky as well, because like when you're asked to do these talks and stuff, you're like, Oh, here's, what, what's your top 10 tips on how to, you know, achieve greatness with menus and stuff. Mm. And it's like, I need a huge amount of information. Yeah to give you the answer to those questions about your venue because, and I, and about your customers and, and the history of, of everything that you've done up until this point. So there's, so the, the process itself is it kind of, it requires more, mm. <laughs> it requires more information. Well, I'm just going um, to scribble out that question about top 10. <laughs> <laughs> top 10 i can it. give it i can do it i can do it i've done it before yeah, and i can yeah. do it because there are actually do you know what that said there are some things that you just think right this is simple just yep. do this like you know if i was given a menu and i had to make and i do sometimes you know people do come to me sometimes and say like i just want to report on my existing menu what would you change mm. and there are a list of basic things that i would say yes change that in all cases i I'd say there's very little exception to the answer. Should I have the pound sign? No, you should not. Mm -hmm. Like that one for me is always a no more so than the photography question. Um, 
And then when it comes to like decimals and stuff, people have got lots of ideas around how that yeah. should work. Like my opinion is make that number look as small as you can possibly make it look. And if that means you just have one number. Single pound, yeah. That's the answer. You're trying to make it as insignificant as possible because that's not the most important thing about what they're choosing. Yeah. And you're just trying to take away one more variable. Yeah. It's not, it's more important that they have the best kind of experience and that they choose the right thing, even if they spend a couple of pounds more or less. Yeah. You know, the experience that they have and the choice that they make is more important. So just make that look as insignificant as possible. And while we're pulling at that thread then, so um other co you know, what's the common mistakes then? That people the are have making. We got? Yeah. Well, well a few, you know, we've got, we've got yeah. some time. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um just you know, just ones that grind your gears, I suppose, and, and you're just like, yeah. please stop doing that. You know, you've said yeah. about pouncing obviously and stuff, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the pounds, I think the, the biggest one which I've already mentioned and, and I will continue to mention is cleanliness. Make yeah. sure that menu's clean, make sure it doesn't look tatty. Like that's just the worst thing that you could possibly mm -hmm. do. And I don't care what your menu looks like, as soon as it's got any kind of mark on it or anything like that, it's it's done for. Yeah. Like that's the biggest thing. Overcrowding of a menu to try and fit it onto one page, you know there was this trend and I can't even think it must've been sort of like late nineties or whatever, that then all of a sudden menus needed to be on one, one page. Yeah. And it was like, let's get all the information on one page. Cause then they can see it all and they can make a clear decision. Well, actually you can't make a clear decision if your eyes are like this. All over the shop. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what you've done is you've created a huge list of things in a bazaar. And then, and then what happened the kind of progression, like, I guess it was an off offshot of that was that then they started to go, Oh, People aren't able to make a good decision. So we'll start highlighting things for them. And then more and more things got highlighted. So uh, it reaches a point where there's a box around every single thing on this huge, great big menu. Yeah. And you're back to the same problem. You know, when, when everything is special, nothing is. Yeah. So that's overcrowding the menu. If your menu needs to be on a couple of pages and you need to change the format of it, don't be afraid of that. Don't think that that is a negative. Mm. Um, although I would say limit choice because too much choice again is a massive issue. So there is a, a choice paradox where people believe they want freedom and lots of choice, but in reality, they don't. Yeah. So in reality, people want basically to be told what to have. Um, and, and it's your job to do that. Yeah. The way that you do that is by giving them fewer options and guiding them to the one that you want them to choose. Yeah. So uh, too much choice is, is a massive part of that. Um, so that's it. So too many dishes is probably my biggest thing. The cleanliness thing, not thinking about the environment is a big thing as well. Lots of restaurants will make a beautiful menu that's that's sort of, you know, black and it's got like lovely text and stuff. And then they put it in and it's like you sit in the corner of the restaurant and you can't read it. Can't read it or the yeah. font's too small. Or like I was saying about the issue that I had the other night where the table's not, <laughs> you know, big enough to accommodate the menu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like things like that is, is a big thing for me. Too many symbols, big keys, huge terms and conditions, and overcrowding your menu with things like social tags and stuff. It's like, you know, um, what, they're not going to click on that from the menu. Like it's not yeah. useful to them yeah. at that point. You know, they know you're on social media. Probably that might even be how they found you. Yeah. Um, if you're on it, don't put it on the menu. Sorry, it's that's probably relevant. marketing guys like me that do that. That's probably my fault. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, I want to remind them of like, you know, taking a picture of the food and I want to remind them to do that kind of thing. You don't do that with a social tag. You tell them on the menu, 
this is a beautiful dish for these reasons. Yeah. Or if it's that beautiful and you want them to order it for that reason, then you put a picture of it on there so yeah. that they can say, yeah. actually, on Instagram, that would look amazing. I'll take, I'll order that and take a picture of it. Yeah. So there's lots of other ways that you can do that without, you know, you, you basically need to spoon feed people. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't do that with too much information. I think obviously the, the information that needs to be on there, that's great. You know, you have to have that. That's fine. And we're moving into a, a time now where we're going to have to have, you know, calorie information for a lot of menus. Um, you know, carbon labeling is a huge thing for menus at the moment. So labeling is probably something that people need to watch out for massively yeah. in the future. I'd say it's going to get more crazy on menus. Mm. So let's think really hard about how we're going to do that because we, we can overload people with information. Yeah. Um, so yeah, designs that don't match the environment or don't match the brand. Yeah. I think the best thing that a brand can do is have the menu be a genuine reflection of the experience and everything that they've kind of worked really, really hard yeah. to put in place elsewhere. Yeah. Um, branding is such a huge thing and menus, not an exception to that. And, you know, if the vibe of the menu isn't right and it doesn't fit, then there'll be a jar there and it won't work. So, so uh, much inspiration coming from directors visits to somewhere else. You know, I was in this, private members club and i like this and you're like yeah but I'm you're not gonna work here yeah, yeah you're like but we're in sub we work for subway you know or whatever so you know it's like yeah. you know it's one of those you know there's a lot of whims and whimmery about mm -hmm. you know i like this therefore that's what the brand will do and and also yeah. i would i think you're absolutely right I, I think there's the most out of whack with the brand ever mm. is is on menus for some reason people just freestyle like Prince on stage, you know, it's just like what the, you know, it's like what the, what are you doing, you know? So no, I think you're right. It needs to be, and then when they have got a good branded one, they go, oh, I'm sick of this. It's looked like that for a few. You're like, but you're building brand equity. Like, don't change yeah. it. Like, there's a, there's a, there's a really good argument for keeping the same type of menu. I mean, like Wagamamas have done it. Mm. So Wagamamas have a reason for their menu. Mm -hmm. It's performing a, 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 an important function as part of the journey in that venue. So you walk in, the guy writes your number on it. Like the first time that ever happened, somebody was like, what's going on here? This is crazy. Like, yeah. you know, years ago now, but you think, you think back to your first experience of a Wagamama and they start scribbling all over your menu. This is like a novel. Yeah, what are they doing? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Legal graffiti, yeah. But now it's like, part of that journey and the menu whilst there has obviously been changes with it mm. the fundamental reason for them having that type of menu hasn't changed and they've stuck with it and that that kind of shows that the experience that you have in wagamama's then is truly reflected in the menu that you get and it's part of the experience it's really mm. seamlessly fits into that experience have and very few places manage that have they taken it away no i will i went there recently and they had it back well, but i don't there. know yeah, yeah. So again, it was the same thing. It was like, you know, table number and all of that stuff, but, you know, paying through apps and all that stuff. So it's slightly more complicated now, but ultimately it's still there. Um, there's photography on it, whereas in a few, you know, a good few years ago, there probably wasn't. So there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's subtle changes to it, but um, ultimately it's still part of the journey and part of the experience. Um, and also language is a massive thing. Like, you know, copy and language on menus is mm. huge. And I think quite often, so there's a, a huge um, aversion now to putting descriptive copy on menus. Mm -hmm. Lots of restaurants that I hear like, oh, we've taken off, you know, succulent or we've taken off 
you know, sprinkled with or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, that's all fine. And you're trying to condense the information that you're giving people. Mm -hmm. But language and metaphor has genuine memory and people are able to visualize what you're trying to say through the use of language and that evokes memories and it does have it has a physical presence you know there's a physical presence with metaphor so i think actually sometimes don't necessarily dismiss the kind of descriptive language that you're using Mm -hmm. on menus if if it's trying to achieve something Um, and also you can be very suggestive like people are so (laughs) open to this like Again, there's this there's this incredible professor um, at um, Cornell University, and he's got like a food and brand lab, which just sounds like the most amazing place yeah, to be. Well, right. um, but this food and brand lab does huge tests and, and loads of experiments around food and understanding and behavioral psychology. And they did this test with loads of their students where they were testing yogurts, and they gave them a strawberry yogurt and a plain yogurt where they mixed in chocolate sauce. And they did a blindfold test with them. And they said, we're going to test these two strawberry yogurts with you. Uh-huh. So they said, which one tastes more like strawberry? So they gave them the strawberry yogurt. Yeah, that's strawberry. Gave them the plain yogurt with chocolate sauce in it. And every single one of them tasted strawberry and said, yeah, I can taste the strawberry. And some of them even said it tasted more like strawberry than the strawberry wow. yogurt. And then afterwards... They took the blindfolds off and they said these were both different yogurts. One was strawberry and one was chocolate. And they found it really, really hard to believe that. And that is the power of suggestion. Yeah. And you can do that with language. And you don't necessarily have to, you know, you're not lying to people, you're not telling them something yeah, strawberry yeah, yeah. or chocolate. But what you're doing is you're giving them a positive view or a certain type of view of something before they've experienced it and they are more likely to experience it as a result yeah and what so you're recommending we blindfold guests and always <laughs> and we just like sell them give them the hard sell just sit them down yeah, and say yeah. this this is delicious <laughs> yeah yeah this is absolutely give us uh, give us lots of points on our feed it back a young pingo. yeah yeah oh, that's cool. this is the thing though it's difficult isn't it because it's like as much as this is also potentially a problem with hospitality is that we don't like the idea of trying to lead people's experiences. We kind of like to sit back and say, we've done all this amazing stuff. What do you think? Yeah. Whereas in every other industry, we tell people what to think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're afraid of that for some reason. We're, we're afraid of kind of planting the idea that you're going to have a positive experience, but they're not afraid of it in the States and they do it really well over there. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, yeah. and do you have a favourite menu? I have a couple of favourite menus. So um, the Breakfast Club have a fantastic menu. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be pleased and about that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the re- <laughs> The reason I love the Breakfast Club menu is because it is completely on brand. Yeah. When you sit down in a breakfast club, it comes in this fantastic plastic wallet like you're in a cafeteria, like, you know, an old style cafe. That is what they are. Yeah. And that's what they say they are. And actually the breakfast club is fantastic. And I know they've been through a rebrand recently. Um, But the breakfast club is fantastic at telling you and then making sure you have that experience. Mm -hmm. So psychologically, before you even go there and when you're in there, before you sit down and have your food, in your mind, it's already positive. Yeah. And then when you sit down and you choose what you're going to have, I mean, I, I I tend to go for something 
um, recommended or like out we're famous for, you know, so like the pancake breakfast or whatever. So I'll pick that. And sure enough, it's great. And I love it because you can't go too far wrong with it. And they're really good at what they do. But ultimately they have thought, what does a menu in a calf look like? We're telling people we're a calf. Let's do it like that. And the fact that it's in a plastic wallet, if it was any other kind of venue, you'd be like, oh, it's in a plastic wallet. What's going on here? But because it's that environment, it completely works. So they've nailed that. So that's that's a really big one for me. I think Honest Burger have a great menu. Right. Uh Uh-huh. They'll be pleased to eat that too. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I love Honest Burger's menu is because they break it down like it's a flow chart. So they say, you want chicken, beef, veggie. Yeah. And then the next thing, here's the list of stuff you can have. Yeah. And then over here, very clearly, these are the extras you can have. Yeah. Simple. Like, think, you can't get much more simple than that. I think it was Tom's wife that did it, originally. Is it? I think so. I had him on the podcast ages ago. Um, he swore a lot on the podcast, actually. I had to cut, <laughs> I had to, cut, I had to go and read it. Um, and, and hopefully catch up with Filson. But they, um, yeah, I'm sure it was uh, Tom's other half that, it's genius and and it just makes complete sense Mm -hmm. and if and you know what the reason that they can do that and that's why a lot of places struggle to do that same to like replicate that simplicity is because of the simplicity of what the offering is and that's ultimately what it comes back down to i find it much harder to deliver menus for venues that are trying to be everything to everybody yeah and if I have any kind of influence on what they're serving, or at least kind of if they're making changes to the menu at that point, mm. that's when I'll say, like, can we can we narrow this down? Can we bring it down to, like, this is what you're specialising in? Because also, yeah. you know, I've talked a lot in previous um, uh, menu science talks and stuff, and, and with... I, you know, uh, with lots of people online as well, if I'm giving like advice or anything, I've talked a lot about understanding that confidence in your offering is a huge part of how people feel about their experience with you. And confidence is saying, we do this one thing, we do it really, really well versus, oh, not sure what you'd like. How about we do everything? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge problem in that. By the way, you just said something fabulous and I would like you to use it, which is menus for venues. That's got to be your strap line, doesn't it? Can you add that strap line? It, uh, yeah. That's, that's the best thing. Get get that trademarked. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, bang on. Um, well, I, I was thinking it just when we're talking about favourite menus, one of the ones I saw, which I thought was outstanding, whether it was good or not for, you know, sales or whatever, I don't know, but was the Greyhound Cafe in, uh, in, okay. in Fitzrovia. I don't know what it looks yeah, like yeah. now, but pre-COVID and stuff I went. And uh, in fact, we were working with Basaba at the time. And um, yeah. obviously we were interested what they were up to. It was a tie as well. But, oh, it was fabulous. It, had loads, it was like almost kind of newspapery, but kind of quality Sunday yeah. supplements thing. And then uh, big, big pictures. It was almost like a kind of coffee table magazine, you know? It was absolutely phenomenal. See, that's, all, that's so brave as well. Mm. Absolutely. Because that goes against everything that people think menu should be. Yeah. Um, and there's no, like, there's rules, obviously. Like, I'm not going to say there's no rules. But if it's right for your brand, yeah. and that's something that somebody would actually like to spend a lot of time looking at, and you're making it feel really special for them, yeah. and they're more likely to sit with it for longer and spend more time looking at it in, a, in an enjoyable way, not just yeah. because they can't find something that they like, yeah, then that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, the other the other place that does that really well um Oh, where did I see? Oh, um, Dejum, Dejum's yeah, menu. Yeah, oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, like, and, and with these three examples, 
everything about them is is brand yeah. like that's what it boils down to like with all this stuff and i think you know obviously i would say that coming from like a marketing background but ultimately that is the most important thing and the, the dejou menu fits perfectly with their brand yeah and yeah. it has yeah. that essence of dejou in it yeah. and you just you just feel that and like everything that you know about them and and when you go there and everything it just comes through in the menu and there's a huge amount of text because obviously you're talking about small plates and all of that stuff but that doesn't matter because no. it just works. It's a very, um, I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure of sitting with them for the last year. And, um, you know, it's a very conversational brand, you know, um, and, and, it, and it really comes from Shamo in the main, his voice and the way he speaks on Twitter and things like this. Um, but yeah, Sarah and the team just, do the best job. I mean, anything to shoot do. It's just, in fact, just behind me. Oh, if I go the other way, um, I've got the orange, maybe orange tin, which is the chai. They sent me that the other day. So, again, yeah. that, and then not only do they give you the chai, but then within the box, they've then got a nice little yeah. leaflet, obviously yeah. great paper and all that, that tells you how to make biscuits to go along with the chai. You know, and you're just like, oh man, it's just it's too good. It's the little thing. It's the little unfair touches, how good it, they are. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the <laughs> it's the stuff that you think they've got and just, it again boils down to resource they've oh, yeah. got the right people in the right positions sure. and they've been allowed the freedom and the time to make these decisions and to like come up with these yeah. fantastic ideas yeah and like i remember going to oaxaca years ago and getting given the little uh, matchbox with this with the chili seeds yeah, in it yeah that was cute. and thinking what an incredible touch that is it's something so simple and small, but you take that away and it gives you that last, you remember some of those things more than you remember the food. Quite oh often. yeah, absolutely. And, and those are, those are the things that, that, that are just getting missed at the minute. And it's been crazy and difficult and I completely appreciate that. But like now is a fantastic time to just get it all right. You know, like we've got the opportunity, yeah. um, but it's still tough. Obviously it's still tough for people out there and I get it. But there are, there's a lot of people trying to, you know, like, right, we've got a fresh start. Let's let's do something yeah. that feels right. I like I like that thought about, you know, the world has reset. So how about we reset ourselves to and get us out of that uh, discount, you know, sort of heroin that everyone yeah. is on as well. And and they can do that through words and pictures Absolutely. in their place, yeah. you know, to, to show value and build your brand again, you know, yeah, which completely. is really exciting. Um, so tell me about the process then. So I phone you up and I say, right, we're on, let's go. Um, we've got, you know, a couple of clients wanting to work with you. What happens? What does the end to end look like? Yeah. Well, like the one thing that I tend to want, if I can get it, and not everybody can can do this is... You, you need to give me a problem. Mm. I need a problem to solve. Like if I haven't got a problem to solve, I can do some generic stuff. Like I can yeah. look at your menu. I can go to your restaurant. I can sit down with it. I can have that experience. If you want me to do research into, because also like, you know, that's a big part of it. Like positioning of dishes and all of that stuff is really, really important. And I do have a process that I go through to try and achieve the best in terms of margins and all of that stuff. But ultimately what I'm trying to deliver is like this improved experience. And if your menu is already in a good place in terms of the way it looks and it's on brand and all of that stuff, then sometimes those tweaks along with a little bit of research is enough to just take it that extra bit further. Yeah. And that's sometimes all people need. So, and that doesn't take very long. I mean, that's not, a, that's not a big job really. That's just like allowing somebody the time to, 
to do that and to yeah. go through that process. But if there's like an entire, like we need a completely, you know, new menu, we're doing this rebrand or whatever, which is what I do with a lot of people. Then we say, okay, let's take this right back to what's going to be on this menu. You know, how are we going to deliver it? What's the problem? What's the thing we're trying to solve? What's the issue? Mm -hmm. And that I guess is like, you know, um, that that's like strategic marketing stuff, you know, yeah. 101. It's like, you need to give me, okay. So, you know, back in the day, Sainsbury's wanted people to spend five pounds more. So they introduced, um, you know, try something different and, you know, increase the basket spend that way. Yeah. That's clearly a problem you're trying to solve yeah. with yeah. a solution and it works. So if it is that you want more people to order desserts, you want more people to order three courses instead of two, you'd like people to stay for one extra drink. You'd like somebody to come back within a month rather than within three months. So like if, so long as you've isolated that and we can work through that together too. Like sometimes I help us, you know, I help brands get to that, that kind of mm -hmm. question because sometimes it, you need a bit of help getting to that question. Yeah. Um, sometimes analyzing the numbers and the statistics really helps to, to get you there. You say, actually, all you need is for somebody to order one more drink. Yeah. So they have to stay a little bit longer or you need somebody to order one more dish. So we go through that. And then I analyze the type of customers that, walk in every day. I, I sometimes sit in the restaurants for a couple of days and, and do a lot of observational research because I find that really helpful. It's a tough life. Oh, it's tough. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> I don't know how I, I don't know how I get through the day. Mark, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I do that. I sit, I sit with the, I sit in the restaurants. I observe the customers. I do, I do the eye tracking research. Um, nobody has said no to me yet on the eye tracking research oh, as well, which good. is, well, people find it interesting, yeah, you know, it's like kind of funky, isn't it? It's kind of weird yeah. and like, yeah, okay, I'll try that. And they don't have to do anything. You know, I'm not asking them any questions in terms of, you know, I'm not asking for any um, information from them. They don't have to sit and fill out a questionnaire. So it's the kind of research people love taking part in yeah. because it's so simple. All you have to do is wear the glasses and order some food. And then I leave them to go about their meal. Mm -hmm. Um so that kind of thing is a, is a really great way of understanding customers. And then I, um, you know, I, I place all of those customers into a, into a demographic and I, and I say, this is what these people are all about mm -hmm. and this is how they, they think. And, and if you want them to make the decisions that you want them to make and you want them to change their behaviors mm -hmm. in your venue, then these are the things we need to change. And then we implement that. I have designers obviously here, but I also work with the designers that the restaurants already have. Cause quite often that's the case yeah. and I'll put together the briefs and I'll, I'll get them to, you know, I'll, I'll do the back and forth. I'll take over and be the project manager and, you know, check the copy and make sure there's no spelling mistakes yeah. and all of that stuff. And then ideally we test it, Yeah, you know, like we, we give it a, we give it a whirl in a venue over a day, over the course of a day or a couple of days, and we just see how we feel about it, see if it's working, take it away, make some tweaks, you know, mock it up and actually see it in in the setting. Yeah. Um, and then if it works, great, we implement it and then we just monitor it, you know, for, for a, a month or two and see if anything else needs to change. Uh, or, or we change it straight away and we say, right, that's not working. Let's, let's ditch it and do something different. So, and I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of aversion to change, changing something or going back on a decision or thinking we haven't done it right. Like, you know, this is a process. Let's, 
let's change it a couple of times or, oh, let's just do it on our next print run. Okay, well, you're going to lose three months of potentially getting it right. Yeah, yeah. You hear that so let's lot. just get let's just change it now, you know. Mm-hmm. No, you, so, you hear it all the time. You know, people. Yeah. You know, I can understand though because you know they don't want to waste uh, all the stuff that they've they've got sort of sitting there. I mean, I get you know things about the planet and you know I get all that, but yeah, I think I think having that problem, I think the problem, um, I mainly come across in menus is just we whatever whatever state it's in, we just want it to be better, and I and I think. It's kind of like social media. No one ever really seems happy with their menu. No. It's a perpetual... No one's ever happy with it. <laughs> no, just a perpetual problem. You know, that yeah. there's always even internal anxiety that you don't see, you know, maybe as a, as a customer. Yeah. But yeah, you just it just kind of happens all the time. And then one thing I was going to ask you about as well was um, the advent of digital, obviously. So yeah. does that, how, does that change the game for you? You know, how does yeah. that work? So it's weird, isn't it? Because like digital menus and the option to have your menu viewed digitally was in place like pre-pandemic, obviously. Mm. Like that was a thing. And a lot of people started doing it and they moved to um, either like a combination of a printed menu and a digital menu. For me, the menu is is any way that you're communicating the food and, and that includes in the digital space. Yeah. So the process that your customers go through in order to make that choice, that decision isn't always on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's somewhere else, but that's still your menu. Right. So you ultimately have to communicate that in, in a way that you want them to make the right decision. I think what the problem with that is, is that there are or obviously these fantastic platforms that have this, you know, um, like, uh, system where it's like, right, okay, you go online and you select, but they're very, very formulate. They're very, very difficult for people to navigate mm. because the thought hasn't been put into the process of the decision. It's been put into the transaction. Mm. So the thought has been, how do I get somebody from the point at which they've decided to the payment yeah. rather than to the decision? Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's happened like super quick because of the pandemic. So it probably would have been given more thought and I would have like been consulting with more companies that have these systems. Mm-hmm. And actually we built one <laughs> for Harry Ramsden. All oh, right, yeah, well. And because they were looking to, I mean, this was literally when restaurants, right, okay, uh, we can open, but it has to be, um, it has to be like uh, table service and that's not how they were operating. Mm. Um, so they had to come up with a solution really quickly and loads of people opted into these digital um, apps so that you could order from the table and the food would just be brought straight to them. Made complete sense, yeah. of course, fantastic solution. But it was all like tied up in transaction and um, the technicalities of integrating it with the tills and making sure that all of that stuff worked. And we just completely ignored the decision-making process. Yeah. Um, and I'd say that actually hasn't really changed. There's a handful of companies that have um, the ability to build these things in-house. So like the McDonald's app obviously is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like the way that that works in terms of ordering, seamless. And 
they have considered the journey and they have considered everything about how somebody gets to that decision because it's in an app. Obviously it makes it so much easier. It's got your information stored. It's got everything about what you ordered last time, all of that stuff. But then also these, you know, incredible offers and all of that. So everything that goes with it just works really, really well. But anybody that's on one of these sort of like general platforms where your information is just inputted into a system that already exists on a framework, it's never going to have that same, you're never going to have that same experience. So there's still a lot of work to be done around that. And I'd be keen. And obviously the the system that we have whilst we built it and handed it over, honestly have really revisited it because it was a partially traumatic experience in itself. (laughs) But, um, but that's something else that we're looking into. And I mean, we, we, as a business here, we have a fantastic dev team and we're also looking into the extreme future of ordering, which includes like uh, responsive tables and how we can kind of understand how people can order from like um, a surface. Yeah. Um, so that's something else that we're doing some research into independently at the moment, mm-hmm. um, because we have this development arm that's just really keen to kind of push things forward. And then that combined with the understanding of behavior, um, I'm thinking we can probably do some pretty special stuff with that and, and find some brands that are a little bit crazy and that would want to buy into something a bit different. So go in the future. Well, I mean, also I, I just bought a VR headset the other week there. Um, I did my first podcast in the metaverse, which was quite interesting. So, yeah. um, you know, that's going to be a thing as well, right? Where it's almost smashing together the real life world of sitting with a menu Hmm. and the digital ordering and the surface ordering and all that. It's all kind of going to smash together in some weird way, you know, and then, but they'll be holding a digital paper menu as you sit at your desk, at at your table. Yeah, completely. And like all of that stuff, like I love the idea of the virtual and the physical coming together in Mm. a, in a venue. Like I love the idea that you could go into a venue and experience a, something virtually up until the point at which you then want to experience something physically where you actually like, you want to consume something still, right? You're not just going to sit there and be like, Oh, this food tastes, this virtual food tastes great. So you want to know that you're actually, you know, sort of that experience is going to result in something physically happening. But I like the idea of those two worlds coming together. Really exciting. Yeah. Really exciting. But you've just put a thought in my head there because it's weird. You can't, you don't really want to be taking the headset on and off. No. You can switch in and out of it and you can see, yeah, pa- you, can, you can pass, you know, yeah. sort of through. But then you're kind of eating in black and white, kind of. It's a bit and it's kind of blurry. It's a it's a funny experience. So I wonder if everyone could just do smoothies. Because you could do it with a straw. So you can have a Dishim smoothie or a pizza pilgrim smoothie That's or something. It, yeah. <laughs> Maybe just do it that way. Because drinking through a straw is about the only thing you can do without yeah. there being, you know, too much head movement or whatever, you know. But could you imagine like something incredible? Like so social experiments where you have people together with the VR headsets on, fair enough. And then you put a plate of food in front of them. And like with you, the, the Oculus, you can see, like you say, like underneath, you can see like your floor and stuff. So you don't walk into things sometimes, yeah. can't you? Yeah. If you like switch it. So could you create a program where you could see your plate? So your plate was here, but the VR headset projected something different. And then you would have to try and like untangle what it was that you yeah. were experiencing. It's like when they first started doing dark restaurants. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, where you it? were literally in the dark completely. Yeah, that's right. And, and the experience is, is heightened almost. Yeah. I mean, you could actually change the way things taste 
just by showing somebody it in a different color. Yeah, yeah. So you could buy cheaper steaks. Absolutely, but they would yeah. taste better. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of restaurants would be happy with that. Yeah, a six just piece. Just change the color of the salmon, so it looks really fresh. Yeah, <laughs> that, but yeah, I think there's lots of possibility. But yeah, so I mean, paper menus aren't going to die, though, are they? No, they've already, co- I mean, I think a lot of people, I mean, I remember middle pandemic, um, you know, f- come when people came out of lockdown first time around and the questions around what to do with menus, it was like, oh my goodness, mm. do we make them disposable? Do we put this fantastic, you know, antibacterial coating on them and all of these questions and stuff, they all came flooding back and then loads of venues just stuck with the digital um, solution. If they had one in place, they stuck with it. Even those venues now are going back to paper menus yeah. because I don't know, about you, but the way I feel about my experiences in venue are social experiences. And I want to interact with people and I want to sit and have conversations with people. And if the first thing that I do, because there's a massive social um, kind of thing around having a phone up in your face. Mm. And if the first thing that I have to do in the venue is hold my phone and look at it whilst I'm sitting opposite somebody, Mm it feels really, really antisocial. Yeah. So there's a stigma attached to that interaction with your phone when you're in a restaurant and people just want to escape from that. There's something very sociable about both sitting with a menu and having a discussion about the menu and what's on it. So even though you're doing exactly the same thing, ultimately one of them's on a phone and one of them's printed because of this stigma attached to having your phone in front of you, it just has meant that majority of venues have gone back to to paper menus. And I get it. I get it. I totally get it. It works. Um, And you can... You can influence people more. Uh, you can give them more of a sense of what you're all about with that menu. You know, you can put your stamp on it. Mm. It's really, it's, it is much harder to do that digitally. Yeah, no, it's tricky. I mean, I, I don't like the conversation break. So you go, yeah. do you want another pint? Yeah, great. Right, so let's go, scroll, scroll, scroll. What do you want? Yeah. Oh, it's logged me out. I need to log back. You know, and all of a sudden yeah, you have yeah, 15 yeah. minutes to get it. And you're like, oh, come on. But I, I think I'm, I'm a big advocate for voice in, in the menu space. And, that would be interesting because, you know, taking it to another dimension for what you do is mm-hmm. could you have an Alexa speaker, let's say, in, in the middle of the table and then you, you say to it, right, what, what, what's good today? And it says, right, yeah. da, 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 da. but the way it says it and the conversational architecture mm-hmm. of how it says it could be fascinating, actually. That could be really That cool, would you know? actually be in some ways more influential. Yeah. Than a, than a physical printed menu. Blind, blindfolded, of, obviously, blindfolded. Yeah, yeah obviously, yeah. everyone's blindfolded. The room's completely yeah, yeah. dark. The food's <laughs> a completely different colour. Um, but but actually, um, like, that type of interaction, so, like, social kind of, you know, social... Mm. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Social influence. Yeah. So social influence is a huge part of why we make decisions. It's massive. Um, there's a really, really hilarious clip and I, I like encourage anybody to watch it just to understand how social influence works. And it was like candid camera from the sixties. Right. So somebody gets in a lift and three people that are part of the candid camera team walk in the lift, he's facing the doors and they all face the back wall. I think it's called like, I think it's called face the back or something. It's like, it's fantastic. And over a period of like 30 seconds, this guy realizes everybody else is facing the back wall. So he like slowly starts to turn uh. 
to face the back wall. And then they test it again with this other guy. And they actually managed to get him to do a complete 360 turn as everybody in the lift turns around, take his hat off and put it back on again. Like, Whoa. it's just crazy because he's being influenced by the people around him. We take cues from our peers. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is doing something, you make a decision or you you kind of, you don't realize, but you unconsciously decide that they must be doing that for a good reason. So you automatically go to that place. You don't think they're crazy. I'm not going to do what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, the majority of people, there's always outliers, yeah, always. Yeah. But the majority of people will adhere to the social norm. Mm -hmm. And if you have that with menus, I mean, you can do it right now without even having this like extra dimension of potential like Alexas on your table. I, the restaurant I was at yesterday, the guy said, as we sat down, just to warn you, we've only got three of the pork left. And then he walked away. And I was thinking, oh, they've only got three left. Like, I, Come back. I, think I, should, I should, maybe I should order that. I don't even like pork, but. I don't even like pork, what am I doing? <laughs> but scarcity, yeah, let's go. Yeah, exactly. But it's that, um, I mean, there is that, obviously that there's that, that, that scarcity thing, but there's that social um, influence thing. It's like, oh, everybody's been ordering this one dish all day. Yeah. It's obviously great, you know. Why would they be doing that? Or they ordered bad badly. Choice. You know, like the, 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 the restaurant only ordered four lots of pork anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, I'm not saying lie to people because that's definitely not the way to go. But if you actually are at a point where you're like, right, you know, with specials, I mean, that's why specials yeah. work. Yeah. They're delivered in the right way because you can encourage somebody like, so that guy could have said, oh, our pork's really, really seasonal right now. It wouldn't have had anywhere near the same no. influences. We're running out of pork yeah. because everybody's been ordering it today yeah. because that's what your peers have been doing and you should do the same thing too. And so like that level of suggestive kind of, you know, social influence is, is really, really huge. Yeah. And that's where the server, um, you know, the teams come into the menu process. They have to be a part of that. Personal recommendations. Mm -hmm. The one thing that they'd always do in Hawksmoor before anybody, you know, starts a shift is they try the food. They sit down and they try the specials and the, you right? know. Yeah, yeah. So like, or at least this is certainly what they used to do. So like Hawks, the, the team at Hawksmoor, and I've actually been there when they've been doing it with mm -hmm. new team members because they do it openly out in the restaurant. They get them together. They say, these are the specials today. Try them. And so they sit down and they try them and they've obviously got a favorite and they go, yeah, that's really lovely. And then when somebody comes over to you, say, you've got to try the, you know, you've got to try the bone marrow to say, it's fantastic. I've tried it. It's really, really nice. Yeah. Like that level of influence yeah. is so important. And that's part of the menu process. Mm -hmm. And even if you implement something like that, instead of changing the menu, that's just like adding something extra to, to the journey that you're giving somebody because people want to be given the answer. We have to like constantly remind ourselves people want to be told what to choose. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give them every reason to pick the thing that we want them to pick yeah. or that we think they'll like the most. Brilliant. Well, I'm just looking at the time as well. I think we should <laughs> let you go and get on with your Friday. Um, so uh, I guess a couple of things I was just going to um, sort of talk about was just some fun stuff. So um, we have a wee fun bit at the end, which is called Mark Out of Ten for no particular reason, um, other than it's a pun. Um, but yeah. just, just to find Love out. Yeah, well, definitely. Um, but yeah, just to talk to you about your, some of your favourite things. So um, I might... I might uh, change this up slightly. So, apart from London, because everyone says London, what's your best city to eat in? 
Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have said London. Great. If I'm honest. <laughs> um, mine would be Austin. Oh yeah, Texas. I love. I love the states. I love you know the way that they do food. I think that it's really, really hard to have bad food, particularly in places like, I mean, I've been to bits in California and stuff, but like Austin was amazing because it didn't matter where we went. The food was incredible. The service was incredible. The environment was incredible. And it was all tied up with that whole Austin vibe. Like, and yeah, so I never, the barbecue, like salt lick and you know, we did, we did the whole like gospel brunch at Stubbs. Like we did everything that, and, and, there was just never a bad experience. And uh, so much of what they do in hospitality in America, but particularly in Austin felt like it was more about the experience than it was about just the food on its own. And that's why I loved it there. So that would probably be like my favorite. Yeah. Favorite city to eat in. Best restaurant. Again, completely down to experience. And it was just based purely based on the first time I ever went there, but it would be Petrus. Oh, right. Okay. So I don't go to a lot of really fancy, you know, fine dining restaurants. I really don't. Um, and like, particularly now that I have children, I just, I feel bad even going into like a Burger King or whatever, like such animals, but, <laughs> uh, lovely, but mental. So, um, so I went to, so I went to Petrus years ago and just had the most incredible experience and it was start to finish. Everything about it was just precision. And it felt like, at first I was afraid that I was going to feel out of place or in some way, like an intruder into this like fancy kind of world. And the way that the team that worked there made you feel was very much like you were the special guest. Mm. You had that incredible feeling of, um, being genuinely treated incredibly well, um, to the point where the guy brought a stool for my handbag and presumably they're, used to much more expensive handbags that people don't want to put on the floor. But this guy brought over this, it said, do you want to put your handbag on this little, and it was just like a little stool. And I was like, okay, it was, it was a, a, you know, a specially made handbag stool. And then at the end he came over and we had had a fantastic meal and everything about it was lovely. And he came over at the end and said, have you been here before? And I thought, oh God, we've been like rumbled, you know, we're we're clearly not regular. Yeah. And he was like, oh, um, the only reason I ask is because if you haven't, we'd love to show you the kitchen. So we were just like, well, yeah, fantastic. Like we'd love to see it. And it all of a sudden took away that feeling of like, oh no, we've been discovered as like, you know, intruders to actually like, oh no, they're really proud of what they're doing here and they want to share it. And it just left us all with the feeling that we'd had a really special experience, but there's no reason why other other restaurants can't take cues from something like that, you yeah. know, making people feel incredibly special, even when it's not fine dining or high end. Yeah. yeah. Probably the longest answer you've ever had. No, it's not. It's a great answer. It's a great answer. Um, so best dish or meal, what's your go-to favorite thing? Um, I love, I love steak. Like as much as I would really, really like to be a vegetarian, like uh, my, <laughs> my brain just can't like, I completely will end up being one. I know I will. I know I'll go down that route and yeah. I'm sort of already edging towards that. But I love steak yep. so much. Big problem you've got there. <laughs> <laughs> and is there, is there a favourite steak place to go? Um, I've got a favourite steak place. Um, the Marco Pierre White's here in Milton Keynes is really good, uh-huh. actually. 
So we have one in the stadium, um, in the MK Don Stadium, which is really nice restaurant. Again, the staff are fantastic, yeah. lovely experience, always really good in there. Hawksmoor's great, obviously. Yeah, like yeah. love their steaks. Sure. And then the way that the pub down the road here does it is incredible as well. They they always they always have really, really nice steaks. Yeah. Um so yeah. Nice. Well, good choices. I mean, I've yeah, I'm going I'm going to Hawksmoor in New York in May. Oh, nice. So I'm so excited to try it out. Yeah. Oh, quality meats yeah in new york go oh, to quality go there. Meats. right right yeah quality meats in new york is fantastic for steak like uh-huh. i actually had a really really lovely steak in oh, I, it was like a trio it was like a little trio of steaks oh, okay. they were they were really lovely yes quality meats that's a good one you need to have a wee look at that yeah i'm, I'm planning it all for now it's for a client actually so yeah i'm planning it all now nice. um and then best do you drink alcohol no. Oh, you don't? Okay, right. That's cool. That's good. Yes. You're my first person to ask, but I always ask the question. So, best drink then? What's your go-to drink? We are terrible at non-alcoholic drinks. Uh-huh. So, um... We as in a country? Just, yeah, exactly. Right. Completely. Like, um... I don't know what other countries are like because I don't, yeah, I, I don't travel a huge amount. And and when I do, yeah, it's usually just like soft drinks or whatever. But I, I do struggle to find really nice drinks because also I don't like fizzy drinks. So as soon as you take away the element yeah. of alcohol and fizz, what you're essentially left with is water. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I don't mind something if it's got like a light kind of sparkle to it, like a kombucha or kombucha whatever. But nice, I, yeah. yeah, exactly. So like I, I've I've kind of started having those um, best drink uh, coffee. Yeah, good. <laughs> My oh, favorite uh, drink yeah. is coffee. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Do you know I've had to I've had to give up caffe- caffeinated coffee. Oh, oh yes, you said. Yeah. I remember you saying yeah. it. RMI, you've had oh, to give it up. It's a nightmare. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. I don't think I could. Mm. Um, I don't think I could do that. I love coffee. I I probably drink too much. But then again, I always use the excuse. Well, I don't drink alcohol, so I'm like making up for. Yeah, get get, get your Sonic the Hedgehog on. Go yeah, go absolutely exactly, mental. Yeah. 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 Right. And then so going out for dinner. Then who would you want to take um out for dinner? So celebrity or non-celebrity or dead or alive or whatever. Who's your sort of dream dinner guest? Eddie Izzard. Very good. Yeah. Very He's good. Forever been my favourite comedian. Like, just the way his brain works yeah. is just incredible. Like, I really admire people that can think differently. And, like, the way Eddie Izzard thinks and yeah. the way that he combines. So, like, I think the success of somebody like Eddie Izzard, and it's the same thing for a lot of, like, strategic people mm-hmm. in marketing as well, is that they take something simplify it to the point where they make it really like observational. So like there's loads of observational comics, obviously, but what Eddie Izzard does is then he like injects this surreal element to it that makes it so interesting and funny. Um, So yeah, I just, he's like a, yeah, long-term hero of mine. I would definitely have dinner with him. Amazing. So uh, I think, I think Eddie is down here a lot in Brighton, actually. Yeah, Yeah, you see. Yeah. So yeah, oh, nice, nice one. And I think actually, did he, did he say, so he, I think Eddie said, wanted to be referred to as she? I think. Oh, I think there was a big, I think it was a big thing, but, but he was so cool about it because he went on the radio and the DJ hadn't got the memo. And, and it was really good. We just went, look, 
I don't care. Like, like I'm saying this is my friend, but he's like, you can call me whatever you want, you know. So it was yeah. like, oh yeah, it was like a nice, a nice stance, you know, rather than being kind of militant about it, you know. Such um, a cool so, yeah. guy, yeah. and like his like views on politics and and all of that stuff. Just I'm, I'm always so interested in what what they have to say. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, sure. you're kind of skirting right. Yeah, it's difficult, yeah, isn't yeah. It? But I think, uh, um, you know, future leader of the country yeah. maybe even which oh i'd love great. it i'd actually love it because i just think uh well um you know it comes from like bizarre back i mean he was, he was born in yemen or something but uh-huh. um you know sort of working class background if you like but just a, a, a man of the people i feel like and then just with these fantastically radical ideas that to a lot of lot of people even now still are new and he's been talking about them for yeah. you know 20 25 30 years like just yeah. and incredibly inspirational as well like oh, the, yeah running that he's been doing like you know in the past and stuff so yeah just like all round um, a very interesting person I think. yeah no brilliant and then what does 2022 hold for you what's what's in the pipeline this year well do you know it's really weird because like this this part of what i'm doing now this menu scientist part of what i'm doing is really in its infancy because mm. I, um, like I say, I was at Elliot's and then I moved back to this agency and then I had to build up like, um, you know, a rapport with the existing clients that we had here. And whilst I was always telling people in the hospitality world, like, oh, I do this, this, you know, I have this specialism in menu science. It wasn't till I actually gave it its own identity that it's really taken on um, kind of, I suppose, the sort of, you know, the influence at least. And then also doing RMI was huge for that. But just even just branding it, like I just, you know, didn't take my own advice and like give it a proper good branding exercise and everything. But as soon as I've done that now, it's like I can see huge potential in it. So for me, it's very much about pushing that, pushing this, you know, forward, um, trying to build up a really solid bank of clients and and just get some nice research. I've been working really closely with Punch and doing some lovely menus for them. Great. They've been so good at like understanding the science behind it and understanding the. What is it, Russ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Russ and Nikki, um, and and they're just great. And like, so I've been doing all of their menus now for a while, and um, helping them out with their photography and all of that stuff. And it's just been a fantastic journey that we've sort of gone on together. So I would like to develop more of those types of relationships because whilst I'm like a, I know what you'll you'll be the same. It's like you want to feel like you're part of that team. Yeah. So that they can call you up any time, like you know, off off duty or whatever, and just well, like with, ask within for, reason, within let's not go mad here, <laughs> <laughs> and, and be like you know, like get get advice or or say like well, oh, we're doing yeah. the shoot, like for you to come down because also I help out with like the um, food styling stuff as well because yeah. like I've got this sort of you know visual kind of background where I understand how yeah. things should look and how how to make things look great, so. So I love being a part of a team like that and sort of just sort of, you know, neatly fitting into that. So I'd like to build up more of those types of relationships and just yeah. be busy because I just like being busy. Well, yeah, and I think also just uh, uh, the best clients, and I'm sure you'll be the same as, the ones that you feel you're appreciated, I don't mean it that, you know, you're wanting to applause it, but where you feel you can genuinely add value, you yeah. know? Um, so that that's that's the joy of yeah. being a freelancer for me is you know you go in and you can actually you know sort of value add because sometimes yeah. you go and you're like oh you've got this licked I don't know what you need me for you know um yeah you know. <laughs> and you know on a couple of occasions I've said to people because I've had like um introduction calls with people and they've said right this is our menu what could we be doing better what could we be doing differently and I'm like 
nothing. Just yeah. keep doing what you're doing. Like you don't need me. Don't spend money on something no, that you're clearly not. getting right. Um, and you know, here's a couple of tips for free and that's it. You're done. Like yeah. don't, you know, so there's a lot, there's a lot of, I won't, I won't try and change something if it doesn't need to be changed. Mm. Um, because then I'm not, like you say, I'm not adding any value and that's what it's, that's what it's all about. Um, and that, I think it, again, that's why I love hospitality is because it is that community feel. It's yeah. like we all help each other out mm -hmm. and sometimes you give up information that normally you would charge for. And then yeah. you just think, well, actually, if I'm helping a brand or if I'm helping an individual, you know, that's just starting out, then that added value part of it is what you get the joy out of. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, just, just helping people along. Brilliant. Okay. Well, listen, I'll love you and leave you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. That's been brilliant and great to get to know you and also understand what it is that you're doing. And I think you've made a genius move in terms of the area. And then I think also just in terms of, of branding it, you know, the definitive, I'm the menu scientist, nobody else is. So please come <laughs> and use me. So we'll put contact details and stuff in the podcast notes Thank about you. how to get in touch with you. Um, and yeah, just wish you every success. I think it's brilliant to see it. Thank you. I appreciate so it. No, thank you very much for inviting me. I've loved it. No worries. So there we go. Thanks so much to Claire for being on the podcast, beaming to us live from the city of dreams, Milton Keynes. I miss it very, very much. Thanks so much to you for listening. I really appreciate it. Again, if you can tell one friend, one colleague, one peer about the podcast, that would really help the listening figures rocket. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Tipjar, and also Saved by Robots for all they do to support us every single week. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby, as ever, for helping me put the podcast together and get it right into your ears. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you and thanks for listening. And I hope that this episode has brought you the value, insight and information that you need to help your brand boom.